0: all right well welcome i am so good to see you uh as frankie was saying my name is brad and the last name is actually van gendron um It's pretty easy to spell. It's not near as bad as it sounds, but uh, I came from uh, recently Lexington, Kentucky, where I'd spent the last six years. So this whole out west and the southwest and the desert, this whole heat thing, um, I'm really freaking my friends out in Kentucky every day. I'm, you know, I'm I'm taking a picture of the temperature, sending it to them, and they're going like, what are you, you know, how are you surviving? It's only June, and it's like 103 or something, and I'm going... Yeah, it's terrible. I'm not telling them about the dry heat that, I I mean, everybody talks about dry heat, but it's actually true. It's like 103 here feels like... 89 back there when, where there's humidity and stuff so I'm just going to let them continue to believe that we're really suffering hard here uh, in the desert for a while so I am so glad to be here I'm so glad to be part of Cornerstone I'm so glad to be a part of the young professionals ministry and getting to lead that charge and that ministry is um, just going to get uh, excitedly rolling very soon uh, August 19th is our start date and we re- we're planning some things so if you know anybody in the 25 to 35 age group and would like to be a part of something uh, um, let me know. Talk to me afterwards. I'd love to get you connected. We're building teams and uh, really building this ministry so that on August 19th we're really going to be ready to really go impact uh, this community. So uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Uh, I just wanted to start off with just letting you know I love this book. I, I think that you're here because you love this book or you want to know more about this book or you want to know like how does this book apply to my life. I love this book and when I talk tonight, I'm going to share with you some of the reasons and some of the ways that I study, some of the ways I, I tear into this, and some of the ways that I, could, that I learn how to apply it, how I live it out. I want to start by, we're in, actually in a Ten Commandments series, but I want to start, if you'll, if you'll just bear with me, I want to start by, if you want to have your Bible, turn to Hebrews 4.12. I wanna start there tonight because that'll give you a context to how I'm going to look tonight and how we're gonna walk through tonight as we look at uh, the, the two commandments we're gonna look at tonight. Hebrews 4:12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thought and attitudes of the heart. So, if, if you were searching, or if um, you hadn't gotten there when I read it, I'm going to read it again. And if you have it, just you could read it over. I want, I want you to just read this and just look at this. And as as I'm reading it, or as you're reading it, I want you to pick out the word or the phrase that pops out to you. Like out of all those words, which one pops out to you? By the way, there's no right answer to this. It's your it's your pick. Um, which one jumps out? For the word of God is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart so Again, Frank, you mentioned, if you're new here, it is an interactive uh, time together. So uh, there'll be times where I ask questions and it's really appropriate for you to raise your hand and give a response. Uh, we want this to be an interactive growing experience. So what, what word, a couple of you, what word jumped out to you as you were reading that? Penetrate. Penetrate. Living, uh, living. Living. Sharp. Sharper. Double-edged sword. Double-edged sword. I will, I will dare to um, guess that what word jumped out at you may be a little reflection of your experience with church or Christianity or people who, who are Christians or who claim to be Christians. When I've read this passage before, this verse to people, it's interesting what word pops out to them. Because unfortunately, and not a lot of us are brave enough to maybe say this in a room like this, but unfortunately when I'm reading this, a lot of times the thing that, will, the thing that jumps out to people, people will say, yeah, that judges, that judges part. Like somehow people that are, have been hurt or people that don't truly understand the word of God see it can see it as a judgmental thing, as a judgmental tool that God, God has given us. But that is so untrue. Tonight I want to help us unpack that. Like, even as we're going through the Ten Commandments, which some people see the Ten Commandments as ten rules, you know, you must follow those. They're more of like, you know, check marks in some people's minds. But I want to help us all together walk through this, where this is an alive an active. I mean, I love, I love the idea that this is sharper than a two-edged sword. I mean, it's, it's just like, it goes right to the core of who we are, if we'll let it. See, the cool thing about the Bible is, the Word of God It will only go as far as you're willing to let it go in you. Because there'll be people, and maybe if you're like me, I've read the Bible and it's done, I'm like, I don't even understand this. I don't, you know, it feels like I've read this same thing over and over again. I'm just trying to get something from it. And it isn't because there's a lack of power in the word of God. It's because there's something that's maybe gotten in the way in how we've read it or how we're willing to let it, let it affect us. Because I believe Hebrews 4.12 is true and I believe that it's powerful and God wants to use it not to judge us but to sharpen us, to, to allow us to experience life and for it to be active. So tonight, I want us to uh, think about that a little bit. I don't know when you're, um, know about you, but um, I find different people in life and, I don't, and I've been at these different stages in my life. And I'm, there's three different stages I wanna talk about when, when I'm interacting with the Bible. Um, the first one is uh, biblical blindness. Like I remember when I was young and I was, you know, I, I just didn't know what the Bible said. I literally just didn't know what the Bible said. I, I hadn't studied it. And there's a stage of life where I think we can be biblically blind, where we're just, we, we seriously, honestly, just don't know what it says, and we're here. Maybe that's why you're here tonight, you're like going, I just want to know what the Bible says. I think it's important for us, if we want this to be active and alive, we need to know what it says. I think there's a secondary, like, symptom, like, you know that something's going wrong. Um, I call it biblical acid reflux. I don't know if you've ever had acid reflux. Um, I usually get it after I've eaten a lot and uh, maybe went to bed a little bit too soon after I've eaten a lot and it's like you wake up about an hour later going, oh man, this is gonna be a bad night. I'm not gonna get much sleep. I call it acid ref- biblical acid re- reflux because I think there's times in our lives where we read the Bible a lot and, we, and we're reading it and we're breathing it in and we're knowing about the Bible, but we don't let it get all the way down into our heart or into how this really affects us, how the Bible really affects us. If you know anything about acid reflux, if you have acid reflux, you're not in the mood to eat anymore. And I think this is where some Christians get stopped, where, where they have it, where it hasn't got all the way into, like they know the, some of the Bible and they're, they're, they're learning it and they're loving it, but they haven't applied it to their lives, so they all send this, this kind of acid reflux that gets going, something feels uncomfortable in them, and then they, they lose their appetite to go get more knowledge. And we're going to talk about how do we how do we take our knowledge and apply it tonight in these two commandments we're going to be talking about. And the last one, uh, last symptom that you, um, maybe you've experienced uh, is called I call it uh, biblical constipation, where you've in, you've know the Bible and you've you've studied the Bible and now you've you've applied the Bible and you're like, man, I I I love reading the Word of God. It's so active, it's so alive. I love this, and I and it's applying to my life. And I can't believe what it's doing, and I can't believe the the things that are changing in my life. But we become biblically constipated when we don't live it out. And maybe you've ever found yourself. I've in my life, I've gotten to talk to a lot of people in their journey. I've found people who are biblically constipated because they've they've wanted, they they've known about God and they've read the Bible and they've started to go like yeah this is awesome I understand how this applies to my life I understand you know where I could where I could course correct and where I could go here and what I need to do but they don't do anything when my son was really little he had constipation all the time and what I knew about when he when he got constipated he didn't want to move See, just like acid reflux, when you, when you start to get acid reflux, you don't want to eat anymore, and it, so it stops us from gaining not more knowledge. If you get constipated, you don't want to eat or apply anymore because you're just uncomfortable, and you end up sitting still and stagnant. That's where my journey has been, and when I'm studying the Bible, I want to help people go through, work through that process to go, like, where do you get stuck as you read the Bible, study the Bible, and apply the Bible? Where, where do you find yourself? If you find yourself all the way through in that motion, like where you're applying, you're reading the Bible, it's changing you, and then you're walking it out, I want to encourage you, just run with that. Keep going in that, in that routine. But if you find yourself, or if you find a friend, you're like, going, why, why don't they get this? Or why, they go, they're going to church, they're reading the Bible, but it just seems like they're, They're losing their appetite they're losing the ability to really want to go to dive into this to dive into more maybe it's because they have a symptom that's going on that says hey there's there's a problem there and maybe you could help them maybe you could point them in a direction maybe you could encourage them where they just need some help so that's what we're going to uh, talk about tonight and we're going to be going through uh two commandments tonight if you haven't been a part of this series it's the ten commandments and I get the gift of doing uh, talking about commandment number eight and commandment number nine so we're gonna dive right into that and if you have your Bibles turn to Exodus 20 I think they gave me two because it's this. I think it's the smallest uh, eight. Is think it's the smallest commandment. So I think they they figured I could I could do two tonight. Uh, If you read it, twenty, verse fifteen, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. Let's pray tonight and ask God to just show us what we need, what he wants to show us, how he wants to apply this to our lives and how he wants us to walk this out. Jesus, we just invite the Holy Spirit into this room. We pray that you will just um, just make uh, not only Hebrews 4.12 come alive in us, but Jesus, we pray that um, you'll show us Exodus 20, 15, and 16 in a brand new way. So Jesus, do your work in us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, when you're studying the Bible, it's great if you can go back to the context of it and where, what was happening, and even if you can, uh, go and find the Hebrew or the Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. If you want to go back to Hebrew, it is so good. And on, it makes online now, makes everything so much easier. You used to have to get a big book and, you know, go through it and translate it and go all the way through that. I had my, this week I had my Greek New Testament out and, uh, in paperback form and I'm going, oh yeah, really, I could just go online and, and search some stuff and do research there. So you could really do that yourself. I encourage you to do that if you really want to dive deeper in, into what the Word of God says because it's, it helps put a context around it. Well, the word, the Hebrew word for steel, is ganab. G A N A B, ganab. And there's two different definitions. There's a there's a, a there's a upper level definition, and then there's a kind of a deeper level definition of, of what the Hebrew what that Hebrew word meant. And we're going to talk about each of those. This word ganab is used 39 times in the Old Testament. And it's a word that's used, and it's used about all the ways about stealing. So I wanna see if, uh, give a little test here. How many of you think you might know what the Greek word, so if the Old Testament is written in Hebrew and the New Testament's written in Greek, what is the Greek word for steal? Anybody wanna guess? Good on, on. no, but. All right, it is klepto ah so see everybody it's, our, it's it's a version of klepto it's a version of klept and, kle, and if you if you study that that's the greek version of it so we get this idea of like we we have a context to klepto or klept that type of thing we could understand oh yeah we, we don't know what that means but gnab that's a word that we really don't understand like we don't have any context to put it in so we have to go down and kind of dig a little bit deeper into what does this really mean so the first definition is this is the act of carrying off by stealth which is not one's own I'm gonna read it again just just for you to um, just hear it again the act of carrying off by stealth that which is not one's own see right there when I was studying this immediately it grabbed me because when I was growing up steel meant taking someone else's stuff that's what stealing meant. Don't steal. Don't take your brother's stuff. Don't take, you know, don't take someone else's, your friend's stuff at the park. You know, if he leaves, it, if he leaves his basketball, it's his basketball, you don't steal it. You don't, you know, you don't, you don't steal, take someone else's stuff. But if you look at the def, this definition, the act of carrying off by stealth that which is not one's own. It doesn't say that which is someone else's. It says that which is not one's own so steel for me right there has a bigger maybe a bigger scope than what i originally thought or than what i thought when i was growing up because i think somehow we rationalize sometimes like i mean i don't know about you but i've done this before i've been walking uh walking around and there's ten dollars on the on the ground you know and look around you know nobody's around i pick it up and i'm like woohoo you know god is good um i've got ten dollars and in the context of this it, it sounds like to me that would kind of would refer to what's feeling it's it's not mine and I'm taking it. Now, I'm not, and again, th- remember, this isn't a, ju- this, isn't, this is the word of God, alive and active. This isn't, this isn't a judgmental, like if you've done that, I don't, you probably, none of you probably done that. None of you probably have taken, you know, five minutes at the restaurant instead of one or anything like that. I mean, I, I, I know you guys probably don't deal with this, but it, and I'm not trying to make it judgmental. I'm just saying there's a bigger scope, like if you wanna dive into the Bible and understand what it means, do you want it to become alive and active? Do you want it to really, really affect you? Do you really want it to have the power to do what, it, what God wants it to do in you? If you do, I encourage you to be willing to look at what it really means because it might go deeper than what you're comfortable with because I think in us, we all want to know what it says and we all want, to, we all want it to affect our lives. The tension comes when all of a sudden it starts to interact with how we're doing life, or maybe how we've perceived life, or our comfort way of doing life. So, definition number one: it's the act of carrying off by stealth that which is not one's own. And we're going to dive into that a little bit deeper in a second. The second definition, which is a deeper definition, which I found incredibly insightful, is the de- deceptive inner disposition. The deceptive inner disposition, which is the habit or the tendency. That accompanies the act of stealing so it's this it's this deeper thing that's why do you basically is why do you end up stealing is it's that, is that character trait that thing inside us that why do we end up even being tempted to take something that's not our own so when i look at that thou shall not steal it brings up it brings up a bigger a bigger, deeper understanding of that verse, of that commandment. And again, not to judge us, but to make us, to help us be active and alive. When you're reading this and when we're studying this, you wanna think through these 10 commandments. How is, can this help me be active and alive? All right, as we move on, I wanna talk about, um, again, that's some of the head knowledge, that's some of the breathing in knowledge. So, 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 so hopefully that's um, been helpful to kind of um, maybe refresh a lot of us what that thou shall not steal means. Now we're gonna, how does this apply to our lives? Real bluntly, do any of us deal with actually this thing about stealing? Do we, do we steal? Do you struggle with stealing? And you don't, don't, answer, you don't have to answer that. Uh, that's the question we want to ask because again, we don't want to become spiritually, have acid reflux where we know the knowledge but we don't know how it applies to our life and how we walk it out. So I want to, I want to just ask a what if question. After, uh, if you have little kids, after they say mommy and daddy, and by the way, when they say mommy and daddy, when they first words, you, are like so excited for them. Like you're like, oh, that's so cute. You know, let's, let's tape that. Let's get that on Facebook. Let's make sure we make all sorts of videos about this so we can embarrass them for years and d- decades to come. And then shortly after that, there's this other word that comes out of their mouth. No, which is usually closely, af- or which comes after that, is, cl- is mine. Yes, out of you, you guys were right on. In my, in my experience, my kids, I, I don't know where it came from. We, we're, we did not teach them to go mine. We did not teach them to go play with other kids and go, hey, I'm going to coach you right now. If there's a toy out there, you grab it and yell, mine. I mean, we, we didn't do that. But there's something inside them that all of a sudden, from very little, they started going, mine, it's mine. And again, back to the definition, taking something that is not your own. You think about our kids, very young age, start stealing. Again, in this context. and But where did it come from? They're not hardened criminals. Nobody trained them. Self, selfish nature. Something inside of us that, that is, that's just there that if we're not careful, if we don't watch it, if we don't let the word of God really soak in and become active and alive in our lives, can really come out. So where do we as adults? You grow up. Uh, you know, you grow up. You know, I, don't ha- I don't deal with that. I don't deal with mine. I don't go around saying, you know, if you go around to your coworkers just grabbing something off their desk, yelling, mine, You might not be there long um and definitely not have any friends but how does that look what is the word i believe there's a word there's a phrase that i want to i would just want to offer what if this is the adult version this is the 21st century version of the word mine i'll give you a little hint how many of you knew know remember the mcdonald's slogan that started i can't believe this i researched it started in the 70s but ran really in the 70s 80s 90s it was their slogan and it was what they were known for they made dances they made they made all sorts of commercials they were just known for this slogan anybody remember that have it your way, it your way. that's one of them uh, you deserve a break today that's that's the slogan they started, and the guy who started said it may last a couple of years. It lasted from 1972, I think it started, and it went all the way, it went all the way really into 2000s. Interesting note on that. If any of you entrepreneurs want to like dive into something, in 2014, November 2014, McDonald's uh, turned in that trademark. That it's no longer a McDonald's trademark. You have you know you deserve a break today. So if anybody wants to take that and run with it for any marketing, uh, it's a, it's yours. Um, it's so there you go. Somebody make a million dollars, you know, tithe back to Cornerstone. We we'll, we'll appreciate it. Uh, but it's this—it's this phrase that says you deserve a break today. And I want—I would just want to invite you to think: What if, what if that word "deserve" is the adult version, the, of mine. Think about it, think, just think about this for a little bit, just play along with it a little bit, going like, think about what that word means, I deserve, or you deserve. And think about it, again, we all say this to people. Like, it's a, it, we say that as a, as a thing of encouragement. Like, you're doing such a great job. Man, you've worked so hard. You deserve a vacation. You deserve that promotion. You deserve a nice car. You deserve a spouse. You deserve kids. You've done everything the right way. You deserve it. But I want to just ask you to, to think, think about this. And what if, what if when you're thinking, when that phrase of you deserve, what it really means? Does it, does it mean that because I do something, then I, I deserve, I earn something? So if I do everything right, then I deserve a promotion. I deserve to have a spouse. I deserve to have great kids. I deserve to have great parents. I just want to ask you to to think about what if the enemy, Satan, has used the word I deserve as what it was meant as an encouragement for most of us, but how he has turned that into something that is an obligation. Like we, we get offended when we don't get those things. We get hurt. We feel like, Could it be that we feel like someone's stolen something from us if we don't get what we deserve? And I know in a church setting you go like, yeah, we don't deserve anything. I I understand that. But when we're playing this out in real life, again, are we taking something, are we claiming ownership to something that's not ours? Is it something that we are, do do we go through life with the I deserve, like claiming ownership? Well, that's mine. No, I put in 10 years. I deserve that. I followed my parents everything they said. I deserve to go to Disneyland. And I raised my kids the best I knew how. I was there. I sacrificed so much. I deserve them not to do what they just did. Is the could it be that this word I deserve? has been the word that the enemy, this thought has grown into more of a thought and a concept that maybe the enemy has used to steal something from us and then we have kind of adopted it as part of our culture and adopted it as part of like we believe that we actually do deserve things that are not ours. We believe that we should just be able to grab something and say, no, that's mine, even though it's not ours. So what if, what if we want to ask the question, who, would, who owns things? Who's, who's the owner? Who's the owner of good things? God. Who's the, owner? who's the owner of great relationships? Who's the owner of success? Who's the owner of joy? Who's the owner of the, who's the giver of those things? I think if we read the Bible and we're, and again, this is where, this is where studying the Bible becomes real and it becomes, it becomes uncomfortable a little bit and we gotta go like, whoa, this, is, this, this might be getting a little comfortable. But what if God is the owner of all of this? And when we live in an I deserve moment, an I deserve life, could it be that maybe we're, we're, we're acting a little bit like, God goes, hey, I got this great gift for you. And we're grabbing it out of his hand saying, mine, yeah, that's right, I deserve it. And when he doesn't give us what we think we deserve, we think he's stealing something from us. If you've ever found yourself in that place, again, this is not judgment or conviction. I wanna I want help you battle the real enemy, which, is, which I believe is Satan, who's kind of twisted how things look in our lives and how we feel. Because those are real things. I, I, I understand there's real things in our life where we feel that God's stolen some stuff. Maybe we wouldn't say God because you know, we're in a church and we, we, we're trying to grow, but we feel like we've been sto- something's been stolen from us. And maybe it was out of the context that we felt we deserved it. Again, thou shall not steal. Thou sh- we, sh- we shouldn't take something that, we, that is not ours, that is not our own. We shouldn't go and grab it. So I believe that maybe... Maybe what the enemy has done, what culture has done, has helped us get to that second definition when it says the deceptive inner habit, inner, inner tendency that accompanies the act of stealing. Like we, we've, maybe, as, maybe we've gotten to this place in our culture and maybe some of us have just kind of slipped into it where we, we really believe that we're, going, we're taking stuff. <laughs> And it's not ours to take if you really want to get if you really want to dive deeper in this you want to think relationships think about in your relationships whether it's parents whether it's um, your spouse or whether it's a significant other or whether it's a child whether it's you know somebody close to you is there is there a place like if you're finding tough time pushing through something maybe you you just spend some time with god let him show you is there something where you've where you've maybe tried to steal something in that relationship Maybe it's telling that, maybe it's that expectation of that person. You've stolen <laughs> their ability to, to live fully because you put an expectation on them. Or maybe it's happened to you. It could be both ways. So when you think about this, when you really think about w- what is this ver- commandment say, thou shalt not steal? I think it's I think if you want to go deeper if, if Jesus will keep taking us deeper in it if you want to go deeper in it I think it's bigger than just taking someone someone else's ten dollar bill that was laying on the floor or maybe taking that you know taking that extra quarter maybe even taking that extra you know hundred dollars that you that was just laying around the office that's you know they were had on the desk they're never gonna miss it I think it's deeper than that. If we, if we'll let, again, if we let the, the, the word of God be living and active in our lives, I think he'll take us to deeper places in it. So I invite you to do that. So I, so if you've got, if we've gotten that far, so maybe it's done some work in us. how it applies to our lives, how are we, really the question, the active question you wanna, you wanna ask, and if you're willing to ask it, is how am I stealing in my life? How am I stealing? Where am I stealing? Let God show you. Now, you may not have that problem. It may, you may, he may not show you anything, but I would, I would just encourage you to ask the question, what if, what if he showed me where I was stealing? And it wasn't a physical monetary thing, but maybe it was, it was an expectation or an I deserve or something like that. All right, it's, I think it's really important as we study the Bible uh, to not leave us at that point. Because I think at that point, a lot of times we do this, we can go to the point of like, oh, conviction. Oh, I, I feel that I need to change something. There's something, oh yeah, there's something in my life I could change. I wanna, I wanna stop us a little bit and I wanna go on a quick tangent. If, you wanna, uh, if you'll turn with me to Matthew 12. Now this is kind of a weird, uh, weird couple verses, but 12:43 through 45. when an evil spirit comes out of a man it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it then it says I will return to my house I left when it arrives it finds itself its house unoccupied swept clean put in order then it goes and takes in it in with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself and they go on and live there and the final condition of that man is worse than the first that is how it will be for this wicked generation all right, that's a really cool verse, uh, a couple of verses. And if you want to dive into it more later, I would love to uh, talk with you about that. But here really is the context. Again, the context, we don't have enough time to go all the way into the context of it. But here's the context. Jesus was talking to the, the, the kind of the Israelite people. He was basically saying, you go through this routine where you, where you, get, you, know, where you go do your own thing. I come in, save you. Then you go do your own thing. I come in and save you. And he goes, was here, here his point. His point, Jesus was trying to help them understand. If you just are in behavioral modification mode, you're never going to get where you want to go. If, if you just get bad habits out of, your, out of your life, you're never really going to get where you really want to go. And you're never really going to feel alive. You're just going to go through this routine i growing up i did that all the time my parents were very clear on helping me do this um get rid of my bad habits if they saw a bad habit they would really help me get rid of my bad habit and i now, now i'm appreciative of them that helping me do that but there wasn't one thing that they did to make one bad habit that i stopped really that it stayed stopped until i replaced that spot in my life with something now, in the bigger picture, that's a relationship with Jesus. But I want to invite you to think, like if there's a place where he shows you healing, like where, the, where, where you've been stealing and you need to be healed and there's something healing there, I want to invite you to think that what if that habit that maybe you've, you've got into over and over again and you stopped and I've stopped for like three weeks or three months or three years and boom, there it comes back again. It could be a spiritual reason And it could be because we don't know how to effectively walk through this. So I wanna just uh, throw some options. If you wanna turn to Ephesians uh, 4 with me, talking specifically about stealing. For those of you who might, like, the Holy Spirit might reveal some things that said, man, I've been stealing. I didn't even realize it, but I found myself that I've been stealing. Here's some really clear, the Bible's always clear, it's always clear. If you think it's confusing, I really challenge you with that. It is a live and it's active and it's actually really clear if you'll let it do its work. This one actually is really clear I think for almost anyone who could read. Ephesians 4:28. So if you find yourself problem stealing and you want and you go like, "Oh, I see it. I want to get that out. I'm going to I'm going to I want to get help." Here's what it says. 4:28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. All right, again, if you're like me, when I read when I when I've been reading the Bible at times I just read over oh that's really good it said stop. But actually there was so much more. It gave it gave the entire context. If you want to if you want to walk yourself out of you have a problem stealing anywhere, this is what it says. It says those who steal don't steal no longer, so stop stealing. Number one, stop stealing, whether that's resources, time, emotions, support, money, whatever that is, you've been, whatever you've been stealing, stop it. Just stop doing it. Lynn did a great job. If you did the technology fast and um, you did that, that was an amazing gift because a lot of people learned that they've been stealing time um they've been stealing time from god they've been stealing time from their their relationships they've been you know it's just it, we, they didn't even know it and that was a great way to do it so a lot of people have changed i've heard stories of all this week where people have literally said oh i'm stopped doing that because i, re- I didn't realize that was affecting so much i was stealing so much second this is great but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good so be active if you stop doing something, go do something else. Go, you know, if it's, if it's as simple as, you know what, I, I don't use my time wisely. I know I'm stealing from people. Okay, so stop doing whatever unwise thing or, you know, Facebook, technology, movies, you know, apps on your phone or iPad. Stop doing those, but then, here's, here's the problem. If you just stop doing them and stay sitting on your couch, You're going to struggle. The Bible is like really helpful here. Go do something. (laughs) Go work with your hands. Go get, basically, go get busy doing something productive. So go find something productive to do. Like if you know that this is, I am, I'm saying no to it, but I'm not, I still have a tie to it. I still have this tendency that I want to go do it. All right, stop doing it. Go do something for the third reason. The final part of the verse is, so that you may have something to give him to give him who has need. So if stealing is subtracting from the world, Paul is saying, hey, why don't you go do something so that you can give back to the world? So if you wanna, if you wanna conquer stealing, if you wanna move through stealing, if, if the Bible is alive and active and it's, it's like and the Holy Spirit's showing you something, then stop what you're doing, that's what you shouldn't be doing, Go get busy doing something. Keep your, keep your mind busy. Keep your hands busy. Keep Be doing something so that it, you don't get sucked back into whatever you were doing so that you could be productive, so you could produce something. And that's not like arts and crafts. I think you, you probably get that, but it's not like you have to have something physical. <laughs> All of a sudden, you, you get the gift of giving a relationship. <laughs> You you start reconnecting with friends that you haven't connected with, a parent, a child. (laughs) You start volunteering and helping out in a school that's under, just, that needs help. You start doing things and all of a sudden you're giving back and all of a sudden you're like, oh my life is alive and I don't understand it. So I invite you to think of that when you're looking at thou shall not steal. Ask God to show you. What have you been taking? Where have, where have you inadvertently been taking something that's not yours? Or where, or where in your heart, or where right underneath the surface, you have this feeling like maybe you deserve something that you're not getting, and it's starting to build, build up on resentment. Or maybe even a resentment towards God. Maybe you need to start there. Like you're, you're, if there's any resentment towards God that you, you kind of deserve, you, you won't say it verbally yet, but you, in you, you kind of feel that God deserves, you deserve something from God. God should be giving you something. And then correct it say no get busy and watch out watch how he will be make you productive watch how he will make you productive it'll be amazing all right we've got perfect all right we got time for commandment number nine which is um, which is a great commandment Um, let's get a couple a couple of feedback. How many of you, and you don't have to share what it was, how many of you, raise your hand, if you've ever disagre- had a disagreement with a neighbor? A verbal disagreement like where you've dialogued, not where you've just thrown stuff over the fence back and forth, but okay. Uh, how many of you have ever had a healthy resolution to an argument or to an interaction with a neighbor? All right, how many of you have ever avoided a neighbor for more than six months because of, of a disagreement? all right um me too i'll share a quick story i when i uh, moved into our house in kentucky uh the first night we moved in uh the father husband was uh sitting right on our sidewalk you know kicking back in in a lawn chair just just slamming beer after beer and um he was just he looked miserable he looked looked terrible and he was just like yeah he goes man he goes man i'm sure sure praying for you guys and um Man, life is just hard. And it's like, okay, welcome to the neighborhood. All right, you know. Uh, just within a few weeks, he moved, he moved out of the house. And uh, over the next four weeks, uh, we noticed that there were a lot of cars that would come to the, to the house for about, you know, anywhere between 90 seconds and three minutes uh, we also no- started noticing there was, a, they had a high schooler and the high schooler, like high school got out at 2.20, at 2.15 there'd be a line of cars along the street, high schooler would pull into the garage, cars would start pulling up, moving on. We're like, okay, it's like a lemonade stand, I guess. Um, So we we were watching it and, you know, noticing what was going on and uh, had some bad, not great interactions. Uh, I have a, I had a teenage daughter. I have a teenage daughter. She was uh, 13 at the time. Uh, Some 18-year-old guys that were hanging out there said some things that weren't awesome. Uh, Was not a great relationship. Uh, Fast forward in the story, you know, three months later, this guy, these two guys come to our door. In the other in dressed in regular clothes they come to the door and they're they they almost push their way in a little bit and we're like whoa what's going on and they, they go hey, whoa well, sorry sorry and they they fled, you know flashed their badge uh they were undercover dea agents and they go hey we just wanted want you to know we know exactly what's going on next door um let us know here's our number if you ever feel in danger call us um we've got stakeouts actually all around it we're trying to you know we think this is this is part of a much bigger deal Two months later, two in the morning, all of a sudden all this noise happens. A U-Haul is, you know, screaming down the road, backs into the garage. These guys are just throwing stuff like crazy into it. They take off and, you know, we're, you know, we're calling the police, going, hey, something's going on. They go, yep, we know something's going on. Uh, you know, just a really big mess. I, I tell you that story because here's what I never did. I never went and reached out to the mom who still, still lived there with her son who was dealing a lot of drugs. But did I tell people about them? Yeah. I told a lot of people about them. Sometimes, I mean, that wasn't a, that wasn't a, you didn't get a positive feeling towards those people by what I just said. And sometimes it wasn't near that positive how I was telling people. So when you look at Exodus, if you want to look at Exodus 20, back to Exodus 20, 16. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Again, across, if, you know, we read that, and a lot of us have read that m- hundreds of times. Oh, that means if you're in a court of law, don't, don't lie about them. You know, tell the you know you're you're not supposed to give false testimony. So if somebody you know somebody asks you, hey, what was going on, as long as, as long as you tell that you don't you don't lie, you're okay. And if you look again, if you dive a little bit deeper into this, you find out I think God had a whole bigger bigger understanding of that commandment. It wasn't just in a court of law, make sure you don't lie, make sure you know, make sure you, you don't lie against your neighbor. I think it was deeper. Again, if you study the Hebrew, and it's just amazing, again, I encourage you just to dive into this. If, if you think of it's, you know, the, don't swear falsely against your neighbor, don't have false testimony against your neighbor, but the, it really implies the opposite, it implies tell the truth about your neighbor. And the Hebrew word for truth contains the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and the middle letter of the Hebrew alphabet which a lot of scholars would say tells you that that's how awesome God is, how much when he created language and he was creating everything to represent the truth, represents the beginning, the end, and everything in between. So when he tells you to say that, tell the truth, it means tell the truth in everything. It symbolizes that, you know, this, this, excuse me, this commandment really is about telling the truth in everything. It isn't just saying false, don't do false things. It really implies tell the truth in everything tell the truth and everything. I think if you if we look at it that way, I think that changes how we look this and how we see her, and how we see people. How we see her, not only our physical neighbor, but this is kind of an easy one. Who who's our neighbor according to the Bible? Everybody. And if you need if you want to dive into that, it's Luke 10:25 to 37 and who is that when he was telling that story, what was the story what's the story normally called that he was telling about about that? You may know what the story was. Good Samaritan, great job, Yeah, good, good Samaritan, the story of like, who is your neighbor? Well, let me tell you, and he told this story. So if you want Luke 10, if you want 25 37, if you want to go in depth and find out a little bit more about how Jesus defined who's our neighbor is. So if you look at that, telling the truth, telling everything true to everyone about everyone. That, I get, I gulp a little bit when I go like, oh. So if that's the commandment, if that's if that was the deeper if that's the next level deeper of that commandment tell the truth about everyone all the time that becomes a little harder a little bit like oh okay God I understand now I've got some work to do here I understand where you could help me become alive in that I think there's there's different ways that we may not think all the time that uh, that we may not be telling the truth, we may actually be giving false testimony. Because if we're not telling the truth, we're giving false testimony. You could look at it that way. We like to think about it the other ways. Well, I didn't lie. Well, you didn't tell the truth either. Yeah, but I didn't lie. You know, like the questions, the the questions, the, the classic question, like, do I look fat in these jeans? How do you answer that? (laughs) yes (laughs) <laughs> yes <laughs> for lots of reasons but I, but maybe this is a different way of looking at it how many of you have ever had a little ki- been around little kids everybody any, how many of you have been around little kids how many have been around little kids when they start doing art for the first time or drawing or coloring or something okay If you love these people, like, and I'm, again, I know if you're distant from these people, you're like, yeah, that's still ugly. But if it's your kid or somebody you're connected with and they color that first thing or draw that first thing and they come up to you and they go, what do you think? You're, there's nothing in you that's lying that says, that's awesome. There's nothing in you. Now, again, if it's not your kid, if you're not have a personal relationship with that kid, you're probably going, yeah, that's good. Way to go. You know, keep trying. (laughs) I love pink elephants, awesome. But I think when we ask that question, and we ask a lot of different questions that way, and we don't always tell the truth, but I believe we can if we let the word of God do its work because when, we, when love comes out of us, when love is the motivation, that's how we're responding. We're not lying Because we don't judge people. We're not judging people. Because if you have, if you love the person, they could be doing crazy things and not be an expert at anything and actually messing up a lot. And you could look in their eyes and with all intensity, say, I love you. Great. That's what the word of God can do. That's, I think, a way that we can move through this. Those are some Steps. So let me give you some ideas let me give you some thoughts maybe this is you maybe it isn't i know it's me a lot uh, what are ways that i don't don't always tell the truth um what are what are areas? uh flattery um sometimes i flatter people um and i don't really mean it but i'm trying to make them feel good but again if in the deeper i, I don't want you, i want you to make sure this this is like a 201 or 301 level here like if you want to go deeper into and in what i believe that this commandment really is talking about Flattery isn't telling the truth. It's, it's sort of giving a false, sort of saying something false to somebody. It's sort of giving a false testimony to them. Now I didn't just say be brutal, honest, and you know, again, you can only, you can only deal with that if you have love for the person. That, that's the counteraction here. But flattery isn't always telling the truth. Sometimes uh, om- the sin of omission or the uh, truth of omission or the false, falsity of omission. Like, well, they didn't ask me. <laughs> they didn't ask me. Like, if you ever, I'm, maybe this is me again. Uh, growing up, I was always really careful to answer my parents exactly what they said, asked. If I answered them, the question they asked, I didn't give them any more than that. If they said, where did I go? I said, I went out. That was true. Did you go out with friends? Yes, I went out with friends. Did you go out and do this? Yes, I did that. I didn't tell them what else I did or who else I was with or any more of the details that I didn't want them to know. If you know, I and I would I would convince myself that I was telling the truth. I would convince myself that I'm doing the right thing. And it almost became a game. And I think this is this is where this commandment that we could wrestle with where it becomes a game to get, to fit within the technicalities <laughs> no I was, I was telling the truth i mean they didn't ask if they would have asked i would have told them i mean if they would have asked that car i sold them if it actually ran i would have told them that it didn't but they didn't ask they just wanted it or that house that i sold you know if, if they would have asked if the you know if the water works um really great or if the sprinkler system is awesome i would have told them i would have told them but they didn't ask you know, if, they, if, if, if he would have asked me if, if, if he would have asked me if I was committed to him, I would have told him, but, but he didn't ask. So we can get that, that omission part and we're really good at that. A lot of us are really good at that. And I believe that that falls under this. Like we want to live this, this commandment out. Like we want to do deeper work if we want to let the holy spirit do deeper work i really think we want to go there i really think we want to wrestle with that a little bit where are we giving false testimony where are we not telling the truth to our neighbor to to the people around us where are we not telling the truth to everyone all the time and i think when we do that again it's not out of judgment because God and the word of God is alive and active. It does not leave leave us down here. It always frees us up. It's alive and active. Anytime you find yourself not alive and active, it's not as a result of the word of God. So let's uh, close by looking at Ephesians 4.25. So if you find yourself maybe have given false testimony, maybe not being truthful all the time. Again, the Bible, extremely clear, extremely helpful, extremely alive and active. No matter what your age, no matter what your situation, Ephesians 4.25 says this, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And again, just walking through this verse, put off falsehood. Anything that's not a fact, don't say it. You know, don't, just get rid of anything that's false, anything that's an opinion, anything that's not truth, just get, get rid of it. Don't say it. Don't pass it on. Don't email it. Don't text it. Don't, don't make a video and send it from your perspective. Hey, look what's going on from, you know, and paint a picture of something that's not true, that you know is not true, but you're like, oh, this will be funny. Or I'm going to try to prove a point here. Number 2, it says speak truthfully. Speak truthfully to his neighbor. And again, this is not permission to be blunt and honest and just go like, you know, I hey, I heard that we we're supposed to speak truthfully. You really annoy me. I wish you would keep your dog on your side of the fence and you really annoy me. I'm speaking truth. That's how I'm going to live my life now. Not at not that way. In love. But don't shy away from speaking truth. Truthfully to people. The word of God will help this come alive in you. And lastly, I love this, I love this part because I think this is a part that I believe our world is, is, is getting and I believe it wants so bad. For we are all members of one body. How I would translate that into application is If you want to not give false testimony, if you want to speak truthfully, if you want to live that out in your life, be for each other. Let's be for each other. Let's cheer each other on. If you have a disagreement or you're kind of, you know, just have this tension between people, between you and somebody else, or if you don't know, if if you kind of have this thing that's being built up, I guarantee you it will change the minute you're for them. Right now, there's a basketball game going on that um, I'm sure we're gonna get to catch the end of the game, some of us who want to go watch it. Uh, and there are two teams that are playing. That the only reason why they're there is that they're, they're for each other. Those, those teams are for each other. Even though LeBron carried the whole team on his back last game, they're still for each other. When you work as a team, when you don't all of a sudden look at the other person and go, I guarantee you right now in the finals, you, you see this all the time. If you see any competition, you see teams disintegrate. Even in the playoffs, even in the championship game when they start pointing fingers at somebody on their team, you see it on the sidelines at, at the Super Bowl. There's a couple Super Bowls where you're going like, you're still in the game, and you're literally arguing. You're pointing a finger at your, at your, you know, teammate going, it's your fault, it's your fault, and you're going, you're still in the game, and you you guys don't have a chance now because you're not for each other. See, I believe that if the word of God comes alive in us, we become for each other. There's no chance that we're, we're speaking falsely against people. If you're for your neighbor, if you're for the person that frustrates you the most right now, guess what? All of a sudden, you can't even get the words out of your mouth that sounds like a frustration or a complaint. If all of a sudden you become their biggest cheerleader, even if they're messing up royally, even if they're making huge mistakes, even if they've hurt you, if you become for them, it is so hard, it's almost impossible, I believe, for you to, to give false testimony against them. So I wanna invite you, like, where those places are in your life, let the word of God be active and alive. Let it be like a sharp sharp two-edged sword. Let it cut into you. Because it will bring life. It will bring, it will bring the truth. You won't get spiritually constipated. You'll become spiritually alive. So I want to uh, thank you. I think we have a couple minutes. If, uh, if anybody has any questions, any dialogue that you want to have, I think we've got time for, yeah, i got time for a couple questions if anybody, or any comments or anything that you think might be helpful for people. Yes. Um, in my office, you know, we have the low cubicles, so you can do that <laughs> That just—it's just everywhere. It just feels—I don't know. Yeah. How do you handle something like that when you're in an office setting and you—they're your friend and you don't want to push them away, right. and yet you don't agree with what they're saying or you just feel uncomfortable. Yeah, that's it's What that, do you do? Because she's constantly just everybody just firing. I, I think probably a couple of people can relate to that. Let me, let me reword the question for, the, for those of you who can't hear that. Uh, what do you do when you're in a cubicle or in an air, office area that you have to sit next to somebody who is very vocal about their opinion about people and just critical, negative? What, what can you do? What do you do? Does anybody have any experience um, in how they've handled that? I'll, I'd love if, if one or two of you have had experience of how you handle it. Yeah. Pray for patience, definitely. Uh, yeah. Um, just start out slowly by every chance you get, every opportunity you get, whatever negative comment they make, try to bring the positive. Into- I have done that. I do that. It's not working. <laughs> <laughs> and the supervisor, you just know going, yeah. You just kind of have to deal with it. So it's just very frustrating. Yeah. There's, there's one, one more. Do you, you have <laughs> someone? I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 yeah. I've done the direct approach and just asked them if they could, you know. Yeah. It's just one of those things where it. you just, and you feel bad for them because they're, they're, what they're going through in their lives just is wrong, yeah. you know. Like, but there's it's, a a place. I agree. Yeah. yeah. yeah I think <laughs> and you can't do it directly, trying to go with Here's, yeah, that, that's all very true. Here's what I would Im- invite you to i know you you got this already is her outward expression isn't the problem there's something deeper oh, yeah. that's the problem and finding ways to love that deeper problem and it will take time and it probably rejected but that's the way that's behavioral modification is so difficult But this is the thing i've gone out with her on a personal level mm-hmm. with our families and she's a different person totally different person Huh? Very, Hey here's some here's some job opportunities. Start sliding start sliding them across. That's great. One more question. Anybody have one more question? That's good. That was great because that's real life and there's not an easy answer. As you as you know, there's not easy answers. Anybody else got any a comment or a question? And I've already moved one. Uh, Great. Well, thank you so much for coming. I'm going to pray uh, for us and uh, I'll be up here and Frankie, if you have any questions for Frankie about uh, the mind, he would love to answer them also. So Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight and thank you for um, giving us the word of God. Jesus, we pray that this will continue to just cut deep into us to bring us life and bring us freedom and bring us joy. Jesus, let us read this with anticipation that this is, that what you've given us is something that's going to just revolutionize our life if we'll just dive in and get help and study it together and apply it to our lives. So Jesus, uh, we pray for a great week uh, as we're just walking this out, as we're walking out uh, the direction that you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen.